It's another episode of Movies You Should Love with Lauren and Scott. Hello and welcome to yet another episode, number 26 of the Movies You Should Love podcast. I'm Lauren and... I am Scott. Yes, he is. Uh, Welcome, as we said. Um, We have a great episode for you today. We say that, we haven't actually recorded it yet, so maybe uh, it won't be great. But we plan on it being great as of now. Um, Anyhow, here at Movies You Should Love, uh, basically we are film school without the tuition, is what we like to say. We take a look at films, uh, we pick them apart, analyze them, critique them, and just kind of figure out what makes them tick. Um, You can kind of help us with this. You can join in uh, on our Facebook, facebook.com slash movies you should. On our Twitter, at Movies You Should. On our website, moviesyoushouldlove.com. And of course... You can download our podcasts uh, through iTunes, where you can leave us lovely ratings, which will help other people find us and, you know, get us noticed and stuff. So, um, yeah, that is that is what we are doing here today. Uh, and today's movie is number 75 on AFI's Top 100 Films, In the Heat of the Night. Um, Indeed. But, yeah, but before we get to that, um, Scott, we've been busy beavers yes we have <laughs> what's what's been going on i've been doing a lot of writing um if you people follow me on facebook we've been, have and twitter will be able to testify to my updated word count every night as i continue to write a uh i'm working on a young adult uh kind of novel right now and i'm having a lot of fun doing that so haven't had a whole lot of time to watch a whole lot of movies and television which isn't a terrible thing i suppose but um, I have gotten a few movies in, and a couple of them kind of wish I hadn't. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Uh, the first one I need, I have to talk about is Red Tails. We talked about the, we mentioned this ever so briefly. Um, I don't know what podcast it was ago. It might have been twenty episodes ago already. It seems like a long time, uh, but we were we, we were we were talking about it when it first came out in theaters, and how George Lucas was saying um, how he'd been trying to make this movie for over twenty years, and how nobody was interested in making the movie because he felt Hollywood was essentially racist and didn't want to make a movie that had an all black cast. Uh, to that, I have to say, if this was the movie he was shopping around, maybe they didn't want to make a bad movie. <laughs> it was a super disappointing film. Um, it's basically every fighter pilot, World War II, underdog, and civil rights movie you've ever seen. I mean, it's just a, it's a collection of tropes. That's all it really is. Um, and the, I mean, it, it was really frustrating because you have some really good actors in here. Uh, you have Terrence Howard, Cuba Gooding Jr., uh, Brian Cranston's in it. Um, uh, the guy from uh, oh, what was he from? He was in Major Dad, and he was in uh, Jericho. Uh, McRaney, Gerald McRaney. Yes, he's in it. And the problem is, though, nobody plays a character. Nobody mm-hmm. plays an interesting person. They all play types. You have the racist. You have the alcoholic. You have the rookie, the maverick, the spiritual advisor. You know, it's like nobody really plays anybody really super interesting. Um, it, it's actually it reminds you a lot of the Star Wars movies. It has all the same strengths and weaknesses. The, it has some really thrilling aerial combat mm-hmm. and a really terrible script. Um, and so when they're not fighting in their planes, um, you're kind of subjected to some really dreadfully long, boring conversations about nothing in particular. Is the frustrating thing because nobody is playing a character, and so like every scene is like a oh we're going to talk about this now, but you don't care because you're not rooting for anybody. There's like not really one focal point of the film. It's this whole squadron of people and considering the subject matter and what's going on, it could have been an amazing movie and it just was, it just kind of, it fell flat all over the place. So I mean, it comes to the point that even when the dog fights are cool, you don't really care because again, you're not really rooting for anybody and go watch glory instead. If you know, I mean, glory, a movie that came out 15 years ago or more, um, handles really the same types of characters, same kind of story, but instead of World War II, it's set during the Civil War. Instead of the first uh, African-American uh, fighter pilots, you have the first African-American uh, regiment in the in the American Army, and it's told so much better. You root for characters, you care when people get hurt, you cry when people die, and Red Tails doesn't do that at all. It's just It really kind of made me sad, especially considering the movie we're going to review today, which came out in 1967. It's an almost 50-year-old film, and it handles all of the subject matter that Red Tails is supposed to be trying to handle. It handles it better, and it did it so much longer ago. 
like if this was the first movie that legitimately confronted racism hmm. i might give it a pass and be like well it's not great but it's a good first step people are you know the kids are going to love these characters um but there's really no excuse for this kind of film anymore it's like it's it's not that it's bad it's just it has nothing new to bring to it and it doesn't do anything interesting and you just you're kind of left with some really nice special effects and very little else it really kind of made me sad yeah it is sad yeah um on the other hand saw a super cool movie called take shelter uh which stars um i think his name is michael shannon he, he's the fbi guy from boardwalk empire oh yeah um kind of a funny looking guy <laughs> um kind of a lumpy guy he's he's a really solid actor i have to say he plays um this man who is either seeing visions of the apocalypse or losing his mind nice yeah and it's it's super cool it's like it's super creepy and interesting and it's really compelling because they do it in a really subtle believable way his wife is played by jessica chastain who was in tree of life and the help um and you know it you can see how it really bothers this guy and how the whole town starts going oh no he's going the same way as his mom did and you find out his mom had schizophrenia and had seen had believed she had seen things and so you kind of go through the whole movie not really knowing um is he seeing things is he legitimately kind of having these dreams and visions of an uh, of an oncoming storm Hmm. or is he slowly losing his mind and building a a shelter that doesn't need built is he tearing apart his family for no good reason it's really compelling stuff so it's kind of like a modern day noah yeah in a lot of ways it really is you know because you know at one point a storm does come and he gets his family into the storm but what does that mean and the way it ends is really interesting and i just i really quite loved it and i'd recommend it to anybody very cool um yeah it, it was great it's like it's a really great script really great acting there was like nothing wrong with it at all it's just it's just good nice <laughs> um happy feet 2 is a movie kelly and i watched and <laughs> we really liked the first one and we're like we should watch that second one too and uh it's kind of different than the first one um in that it's a slightly broader story um it's not focused specifically on one penguin this time you have like three or four kind of branching stories that all kind of come back together um and so to that the story might not be as strong as the first one um i i don't think it did nearly as well as the first movie and i think that uh people were genuinely less impressed with this one i really kind of loved it though it it was just a fun silly kind of movie brad pitt and matt damon steal the show as will and bill krill <laughs> they're these two little krill that you meet at the beginning of the film that kind of are uh i think it's will it's brad pitt's character has an ex he's basically in the middle of an existential dilemma and so he swims against the current and gets outside of the big krill uh whatever you call it a, a cloud of krill and so he's able to step outside of his existence and see that the krill are just food for whales and that's all they do that's their entire existence and he's tired of it he wants something more he's going to become a carnivore (laughs) and so the whole movie then kind of becomes like he's like i'm gonna go eat something with a face on it and he swims off and matt damon's character is like he's just following him going no you can't you know it's it's hilarious because they're the tiniest of the of some of the creatures on earth and he wants to have like this bigger part in the world and it was a lot of fun i mean it's it's you know it's happy feet it's dancing singing penguins and so like you have them and then you have these uh you have this puffin fit uh puffin bird that shows up and sea lions and the whole mess and if you thought the first movie had a uh an eco-friendly message you should see this one <laughs> this one takes that message and cranks it up to 11 um and so there is there is some of that if that kind of the, if you're not interested in the the environment or the possible warming of the globe or whatever um <laughs> you might not be interested in this film or you might <laughs> it's one of those strangely polarizing conversations that some people are really turned off by other people really like and so that might play a factor into whether or not you like this film um because that's a big part of this movie it wants to be part of a conversation um but it was fun it, I, I i was laughing out loud throughout it i mean there was some really solid uh jokes and scripting and really really enjoyed it actually despite it you know it might it might technically be a weaker film than the first one i think i enjoyed it more though 
Nice. So, yeah. Last thing, um, I'm actually only halfway through this. It's Titanic, um, written by Julian Fellows. It's the four-part miniseries that aired in Europe and in America to celebrate the 100th anniversary of the Titanic. And I was very, I've been wanting to see this for a while now because it's written by the guy who wrote Downton Abbey. And so it's like, well, let's see his take on Titanic. And I thought this might be something you would be interested in, considering your love of James Cameron's Titanic. Oh, you know how much I love James Cameron's <laughs> And so Titanic. I'm like, well, let's see this guy. You know, here's somebody who really seems to understand early 20th century class systems. And let's see how he approaches this the topic, especially spread over... Uh, it's a, it was a four-part miniseries, and each episode's a, like a solid hour, it seems. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm only two episodes in, so I, can, I don't know if I want to completely comment on it, but what I will do is post a little bit of a review in this episode's page on our website. But so far, I'm intrigued. <laughs> because like we watched the first episode last night, and it was actually kind of disconcerting and disappointing. Kelly was like, well, you can watch the rest of this. I don't need to see the rest. Because, and I kind of had this feeling, this must be what uh, Julian Fellows decided to do with it, um, is that the, every episode is told unchronologically. Each episode begins and ends at a different point in the story of Titanic. And, um, and so when you watch just the first episode by itself, um, it sets up these characters. You're like, oh, this is interesting. But then it starts hitting these plot points of like, oh, we hit an iceberg. Oh, you know, it's sinking. Oh, it, it, it starts going through things so quickly that it's hard to really care. And by the time, and episode one ends with people like in lifeboats going out into the water. And you're like, wow, so we're already here. What's the rest of this miniseries going to be about? And you really don't care. You haven't had time to connect with any of the of the cast yet. And so hmm. it seemed really strange that he would do that. But then episode two begins and you're back in England, you know, and they're still building the boat. And so it, it seems like each episode is going to kind of follow a particular set of characters. And then I think I've read that episode four is basically all of them coming together for one massive episode or so. Um, it's, it's very interesting. It's kind of like the writing and the characters are exactly what you would expect from Julian Fellows. It's very Downton Abbey, yet the whole thing seems to be told in this very 21st century Quentin Tarantino sort of way um, that allows you to see certain scenes. I've already You've already seen certain scenes twice from two different characters' perspectives because the first time you saw it, it was the one. It was the guy jumping onto the boat and running through everything. The second time you see it from the maid's perspective. And so it's interesting. It's not quite what I wanted and I'm not convinced at this point that it shouldn't have been told chronologically but it's interesting and I I would I'd actually be very interested to hear your opinion on it because they definitely um he it's weird it well I've I've just added it to my DVD queue so. yeah it, 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 it's interesting because there's certain aspect there's certain scenes that have taken place that I feel like he are there only because James Cameron had that scene. Hmm. It's like, so we should talk about that too. And I don't know, maybe that's unfair just because they're both talking about the same topic. And so certain, certain things have to appear in both, mm-hmm. but it, it is weird that there's certain things that feel they exist because of it. Or maybe, I don't know. There's a certain, there's a certain part of it. James Cameron's definitely has a bigger spectacle to the whole proceeding. And there's also, there's more at least for me watching Titanic I had more emotions watching James Cameron's Titanic um, but that's because you have two hours to get to know the characters and to kind of care about them where by the time like you're almost 30 minutes into this show and the Titanic sinking and you're like oh okay these people I just met are about to die I guess <laughs> it's it's kind of weird but I'm intrigued and like, the second episode I enjoyed more than the first episode because I got to see more people. I got to understand why they behaved the way they did in the first mm-hmm. episode because I saw scenes of them earlier in their lives now. So I'm not, yeah, I'm not sure it was the best way to approach the topic, but I'm intrigued and I will watch the rest and comment on it in this, on the website. Nice. Well, I have seen a couple of movies. Um, first off, uh, you know, my brother and I have been out filming um, mm-hmm. on this documentary project. And, uh, uh, which is going very well for everyone who's following along with that. Um, we just spent a week up in Washington, D.C. area and uh, did a whole bunch of interviews and had some really good, uh, stuff going on up there. Um, 
And you can always find out more about that whole project at warinheavenwarinearth.com. Uh, anyhow, we'll put links to all of that on the website. Uh, but one night, we kind of finished a little early, so we went to the theater and and ended up... The movie we agreed on being able to both be interested in was Snow White and the Huntsman. That's amazing, because I have negative one interest in this movie. Well, anyhow... Um, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so we went and saw Snow White and the Huntsman. And see, and, and I know at least partially for you, that's because you have no interest in the the main actress. Uh, yes. Uh, oh, Twilight Girl. Uh, Stewart. Yes, Kristen Stewart. Um, I have, people, think she, people think she has potential and just hasn't found the right director yet. Mm-hmm. I'm not convinced yet. Period. <laughs> See, I saw Adventureland, and I liked her in Adventureland. Yes, I didn't like that movie. <laughs> well, see, that's that's a problem. So, yeah. um, I liked um, her Panic Room. She was okay in that, but she was like twelve <laughs> or ten. Nice. Um, this is not the movie that it's going to make you like her. Um, <laughs> it's it is a really really disjointed kind of film. It. It works overall, and there's some really, really cool stuff in it. Um, and I think you might actually like the movie, Scott, despite her. Because here, here's kind of the the things that go on in this. Um, the Wicked Witch character mm-hmm. is amazing. Um, yeah, she, she's fantastic. And except for a couple of scenes that are way too overridden and overly dramatic Mm-hmm. Uh, but I kind of find those maybe more the director's fault rather than because this anyhow. is his first feature-length film, right? Right, um, and that I think is kind of the biggest problem with this movie overall. Is it is it really just has pacing issues? Um, it when it when it's clicking, it actually really clicks really well. But then you get like sequences where you're like, oh, he's they did that in the Disney Snow White, so he's put in a haunted forest, you know, caused by hallucinogenic mushrooms or whatever, you know. Okay. Like, it's his take on it. And you're yeah. like, okay, whatever. Um, at the same time, there's some sequences. There's especially a sequence once they get to... where, where they meet the uh, the seven dwarves, mm-hmm. and they... Um, it's like miniature Ian McShane and miniature yeah, and, and Stone. It's, and that stuff is so well done. Like, if you thought the Hobbits were really good in the Lord of the Rings movies, like, this is seamless. It's amazing how well done this part is. And this whole world that they create there is really cool. It Like, I don't know if you remember the opening of the movie Legend. Yeah. Um, there's kind of that part where she's going through the forest. There's, like, all the little floaties in the air and stuff. And it's, like, mm-hmm. some of the most beautiful cinematography anybody's ever seen ev- in- anywhere. Mm-hmm. This whole sequence is kind of like that, and it culminates with her meeting, like, the stag, who's, like, the king of the forest and everything, and, and mm. there's these fairies. It's really cool. Yeah, the um, creature effects in the trailer really impressed yeah. me, made me want to see it. Yeah, and it's kind of one of those sequences where there's so much practical effects and visual effects that it just, it all blends really seamlessly, and there's this really cool sequence. And that's the thing, there's these really great sequences where even the storytelling is really good, um, but then you have whole sequences where the storytelling just kind of falls apart a little bit and really saps the energy of the movie. So it -hmm. it kind of has this sine wave of like, good, bad, good, bad kind of going on. Um, Charlize Theron is great. And what's really cool, I I know you've read the uh, Orson Scott Card book on writing science fiction and fantasy. Yes. Um, And you know how he talks about having to have rules for your magic? Absolutely. Um and defining what the effects of magic are. Mm-hmm. Fantastically well done for, for the Wicked Witch. There is this definite... Basically, anytime she uses magic, it ages her. Mm-hmm. And so she uses her magic to sap life, basically, out of younger women. Right. Um, and so that's how she regenerates her magic. And then to spin magic, she has to basically either you know slowly kill herself or kill other women to get the magic from beautifully well done Mm -hmm. the problem with the movie is that kristen stewart's snow white is set up as kind of a blank canvas but at the same time is stated that she is a magical person who will bring balance to everything that's that's a great review of i feel like of kristen stewart she's a blank canvas and and there is no explanation 
of what her magic is. So mm-hmm. you have a really, really clearly defined magic for the Wicked Witch. Is it a setup for a series of movies? Is it supposed to be like part one in a trilogy or something? I, I, I don't feel that it even could be. I mean, there there is elements of that because there's a love triangle that's introduced, but at the same time, never really but there, fulfilled. Okay, so, but there is a conclusion then at the end. Yeah, there is there is a conclusion um, of sorts. It's The ending conclusion, not to spoil anything, is kind of... Well, I'll spoil everything, probably, but not really. Cause it's technically Snow White. I assume White. it ends the way all it, Snow White it, tells it, it does. Um, but it basically ends up in kind of this coronation scene um, where she's kind of, you know, taking over as, as the new queen. Mm-hmm. And, like, it's literally, like, five minutes of, of her just kind of standing insipidly on the throne looking at everybody out in the audience, you know, in the, in the throne room there. And, like, they're just kind of all gazing back at her. And there's not, there's not quite a sense of triumph to it. It's just kind of this, like, everybody casting, like, knowing looks at each other. Right. And, and then the movie's done. You're kind of like, really? That's... Um, Anyhow, I don't know. It's it's there's elements of it that really work. It's I do not feel it's her performance that is a problem in this movie. I feel like there was nothing written for her to do. Um, here's what I'll say about Kristen Stewart because I know she's can be a divisive person, uh, and, and I can only really I can't comment on her as a person. Um, she might be a wonderful human being. I honestly don't know. But my frustration with her is that. She's in these huge blockbuster films, and I feel like the reason she's in big blockbuster films is because she's continually put in big blockbuster films. Not because she's a great actress, not because she's necessarily earned it or anything like that, but it's like she was cast as Bella in Twilight, and that was huge, so people must love her. Let's put her in other things. And so she's like, she's in this perpetuating Twilight franchise, and now she's segueing into Snow White and the Huntsman, and it's like, is she going to be what, what's the next big huge blockbuster mm-hmm. summer thing she's going to be in and I don't I, I feel like that's a casting decision that was made because she makes millions of dollars and you're like I'm not sure she did or if that was just Twilight that made that yeah you know and so it's like it's hard for me to to get excited about a Kristen Stewart film when there's not nearly enough Kristen Bell films yeah. where I'm like here's here's an actress who never disappoints me she might be in a bad movie but she's never bad mm-hmm. Yeah, the the thing the thing with this movie the thing with this movie is that there is literally nothing for this character to do. So it could have been Kristen Bell in it. It could have been yeah. Kristen Chenoweth in it. I mean, anybody, yeah. any Kristen could have been any in this Kristen movie. could have been in this movie, <laughs> and this character would still have been pretty much as flat as because there's just nothing written for this character to do. Everything she does is a reaction to everybody else, mm. and so the the real main character in this movie, despite this being Snow White and the Huntsman is the Wicked Witch. And so, if you're going into this movie to watch Charlize Theron, totally worth it. And the rest of it is kind of interesting. Um, yeah, that, that's kind of what I will say about it. It's it's not a bad movie. Uh, it's just not fantastic either. It's got some really good sequences. It if you if you like a good kind of fantasy fairy tale kind of thing, this will work for you. If you like legend, yeah. despite all of its flaws, this kind of is in that same category. There's it, a lot. There's a lot in Legend that I like. Yeah, but at the same time, it kind of. Yeah, it doesn't quite work though. It doesn't quite work the way you want it to, and this movie kind of does that same. Okay. Thing. So uh, I'll probably we're, check we're, it out either at the cheap theater or when it comes out on DVD or Blu-ray. Definitely yeah. will. Yeah, there's it's, there's enough to like about it that I would say mm-hmm. go for it, but it's not going to be you know 100. percent It's kind of like a 60 or 70 percent working kind of thing. Sure so, enough. Anyway, and don't go for Kristen Stewart. She's kind of... I won't. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go for Thor. I hear he carries yeah. an axe in this instead of a hammer. He does. And, you know, and he's <laughs> he's charismatic enough that he's, you know, he's good. But he's not fantastic either. You know, it's... Uh, a review I read of this was like, for the first 30 mil- minutes, Charlize Theron steals the show. And then Prince Hubs, then uh, Thor shows up and steals the show. And then the dwarves steal the show. And then you have Kristen Stewart for the last thirty minutes or whatever. <laughs> yeah, that, that's kind of that's kind of exactly how it goes. Um, but those times when people steal the show are really good. Yeah. So that's that's kind of what I would say. Cool. Um, yeah. The other movie that I saw, and and I will also say this, I'm open on Kristen Stewart still. I don't I I don't feel she's done anything yet where I can make a judgment on her. I don't hate her like I hate Channing Tatum. <laughs> So you're not going to go see Magic Mike, is what you're saying. No. 
<laughs> um, but I'm waiting to be convinced. And some yeah. people still hold out hope, and I think a lot of those people are people who did like Twilight, and because they seem to be the ones that go. I think if she has a good director, show me. Yeah. I, I'm willing. I'm, I'm I'm always willing to change my mind. There was a time where I hated on Brad Pitt, you know, just because mm-hmm. I felt like he was a pretty boy. But then I started watching his movies, and I went, oh. Hello. Yeah. <laughs> I get it. Yeah, that, oh. that's kind of what I would like because uh, and so it, it might just be the right project needs to come along. Mm-hmm. It, because honestly, when you're in a blockbuster, a lot of times you don't have a lot to do because there's so much, so many opinions, so much money being thrown at this thing. All you really get to do is sit on a throne insipidly. Yeah. No, exactly. And and I go back to Adventureland. Uh, the movie itself was kind of eh, okay, whatever. Mm-hmm. I thought she was good in it, and I thought. Uh, the main dude, Jesse, what's his name? Eisenberg, yeah, he's yeah. really good. And then, like, he went on and he did Social Network. This, and, this is and, true. Like, and you kind of went, okay, yeah, this is a guy who has potential. Yeah. I'm waiting for her Social Network. Fair enough. And hopefully it will happen. If not, then she'll never get there. But, like, you know. Yeah, I, like I said, I don't hate her. She's just kind she's of... She's just not a draw for She's a right neutral now. factor for me. It's like... Yeah. If, and if anybody else, if a no-name was in there, I might be more interested. Because this guy, this is his first film, but he, he this guy has directed some really awesome Halo commercials, which sounds silly. Mm-hmm. But it's like, the, the Halo commercials he directed are awesome. Yeah. And so it's like, oh, here's, a, here's, a, here's possibly a new fascinating director with a cast I generally like. Hmm, I'm supposed to root for this person? Hmm. Yeah. But cool. Anyway, sorry. Yeah. Derailed yeah, from your other movie. Uh, well, so the other movie that I saw um, was One for the Money, uh, which the is, well, that is the next book, I believe. Is oh, is it really? Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, anyhow, it's based on the Janet Ivanovich, uh, Stephanie Plum novels, which I know are huge. My mm-hmm. wife loves the novels. Um, and so this is the first movie, you know, who knows if there will be a second or not. I don't actually know how the box office for this did. Um, and uh, basically... It was okay. It's it's relatively humor humorous and um, you know uh, kind of a, a typical you know girl gets fired from her job at the mall in New Jersey and goes and becomes a bounty hunter kind of movie. It's um, this time. Yeah. So uh, you know it's it's pretty decent. It's not it's not going to blow anybody away. It's you know it's pretty standard you know, fair, but at the same time, it's solid, and if you're looking for kind of a fun crime movie with a little twist on it, this'll be better than a lot of things you can, you can watch. You can see this maybe becoming a, a movie franchise? Yeah, if it, if, it, if it does, I think it's going to need just a little bit of work to take it to that next level. Like, it definitely doesn't hit on all cylinders like, you know, a lethal weapon or something does. It's right. It, it needs... It needs something to push it a little beyond, I think, where it is currently to really do that. But, I mean, it's it's solid. It's mm-hmm. just not fantastic. Right. So, uh, you know, maybe they can they can keep working it and, and really take it to that next level. If they could, I think there's a lot of material in this series, and I think there's a yeah. lot of material with the characters and stuff that could really, so, really, yeah, could really work. Of, I haven't seen it yet, but I'm kind of working at a bookstore. I'm aware of its existence mm-hmm. because... Like you said, Janet Ivanovich. And it made me wonder if it wouldn't be, again, having not seen it, it made me wonder if it wouldn't be better suited for a television series. I think it could really... That, that's kind of how the movie feels, is like a, a really long episode of like a, a, like a great TV pilot. series. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And like, um, I'd love to see, you know, I think this could play really easily on any of the, you know, dead body channels or whatever. <laughs> this, this, it, it really could. It could be a really, really good It could TV be like a series. new murder she wrote, you know. It, yeah. It feels like it's been a while since we've had something kind yeah. of like that. And, you know, it's got enough humor and stuff to really kind of keep pushing you through while at the same time, um, you know, there is a definite sense of, like, bad things can happen in this world. Um, Interesting. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, so it kind of kind of a middle of the road, but better than okay. it could have been sort of movie. So that's what I've seen. Nothing really super exciting, but there you go. Very, very good. Okay, <laughs> so about to get into in the heat of the night. But before we do that, introduce a new segment that will probably never return. <laughs> it's not really a segment so much as just like a little discussion you want to have. We need to air some dirty laundry. <laughs> um, sometimes, Lauren. You have a good friend who you enjoy watching movies with, and who, generally speaking, it 
likes the same kinds of movies, or at least you know them well enough that when they say, this is a good movie, you should see it, you go... I don't know who you're talking about. I don't have any friends like that. We'll call him Fred. uh, (laughs) Fred. (laughs) And uh, you're like, okay, I know this guy, I know what he likes, so when he says this is a good movie, this this could be this, or it could be that, I'll check it out. And sometimes they steer you really wrong. <laughs> and you're like, ah, we are not friends anymore. I do not know why this happened. <laughs> uh, last week, when we recorded our last podcast, we didn't actually talk about it on the podcast, but you saw The Immortals on my uh, recommendation. And your feelings on it reminded me of a time that I have never brought up with you, but you recommended The A-Team to me, and I did not like that movie. <laughs> And so I just thought it'd be interesting for us to maybe let's compare and contrast our feelings on the Immortals and the A-Team, respectively. You can talk about the Immortals, I'll talk about the A-Team, and we can kind of figure out why you're wrong and why I'm wrong, or whatever. (laughs) Fair (laughs) enough. Um, Okay, so the Immortals. Uh, I'm not saying that there's not a few things in this movie that work. Like, I like the idea of the way the gods are portrayed in this movie, Mm -hmm. and that's about it. Mm -hmm. Um... That is a really interesting idea that works about half the time in the film. Mm-hmm. Um, the rest of the time, oh, I, I don't even I don't even know where to start with this. That's fair. To, to, to me, the rest of the movie is poorly written. Um, I I personally think the effects are actually really pretty bad in it. Um, I tend to I, I, I like a lot of the stuff that the director has done in the past with effects, and somehow in this movie, it just like, come together for you. Like I feel I can see the green screen every second yeah. that there is an effect shot on the screen. Mm-hmm. Um, the acting, if you can call it that, is really really <laughs> bad overall. Um, oh, I. Th- there's just there's so much I do not like about this movie. I and and some of the direction, like there's so many elements in this. Like they they take um, the concept of the Minotaur mm-hmm. and relegate it to like a two minute fight scene. Yeah. Um. There's like the, there's so many missed storytelling opportunities that the story that they end up telling is you kind of wonder like why this is the story they ended up doing because right. it's so much is missed in what they could have done mm-hmm. and what they end up with is like not worth the journey to get to what you end up with at the mm-hmm. end of it all. Uh, I don't know. I I can keep going, but I feel like that's a lot no. of really big stuff right there. I think that's, I honestly, I think you're dead on. Um, I was, I think the reason I liked it, was because of the gods. Because I feel like there's been a a trend in video games and movies in the past 10 years to either take the gods out of the story, like we saw in Troy, where we're like, we're going to tell this story, but we're going to take all this supernatural stuff out. Um, or or you see gods being basically killed or beat up by a a mortal. You're kind of like, this doesn't... Kind of like God of War kind of thing. Exactly. And, and that, yeah. that, that bothers me a little bit, because I think the gods, you know, Roman, Greek... Celtic, Hindu, are very a very fascinating story. And so I really like the idea that this almost seemed to try to be a throwback to the original Greek concept, which is like if you if you challenge the gods, woe be to you, you know. Yeah. And so like I liked it when the gods did show up and how they would just I mean, it's very gruesome, but no human could stand up to them. I I really like that. But you're right about everything else, honestly. Um, somehow the the gods showing up kind of overpowered some of that. I think for me, that's why I rec- uh, that's why I was like, I like this movie. They finally did this thing. It's it might share a little bit too much of Three Hundred. I think that's another movie that you can see the green screen, you know, five feet away from mm-hmm. the actors most of the time. Um, yeah, but yeah, I, I, I think I think you, I think you're right overall. Yeah, yeah I will say to me, like Three Hundred worked a little bit better. Um, Partially because it was first and it gave us something we hadn't really seen before. Mm-hmm. Um, and secondly, it to me, I felt there was a reason for doing it with 300. Mm-hmm. Like, like 300 was a specific story based on a specific set of material right. that was very specifically trying to tell a story in a certain way. Yeah. Um, 
And so even though you can see the green screen, it's an artistic choice. Mm-hmm. Whereas I really feel with this movie and, you know, to some extent, you know, we can get back to Spartacus and some of that kind of thing. It's because they're doing it not because it's an artistic choice to do it really but ultimately it's because 300 was successful it's still a lot of style it's substance. it's it's the it's your Kristen stewart problem yeah applied to to a style of movie making that's fair it's, you know um and I'm, I'm not saying it's not a style that can't work again but it needs to work for a reason it's kind of like all those movies after the first matrix movie came out that right. started doing bullet time and <laughs> yeah. didn't need to and you're kind of like why are you doing bullet oh because you can that's yeah. right yeah and that's that's kind of what happened here i think for me it's mm-hmm. you know we today you know several years on 12 years on whatever it is mm-hmm. from the first matrix there's some really really cool really advanced ways people are using bullet time in movies. I mean, just look at, like, the last Sherlock Holmes, mm-hmm. that scene where they're, like, running through the forest and stuff. Mm-hmm. There's some amazing usage of those original concepts of bullet time that yeah. the Tchaikovsky's did back in The Matrix. Yeah. Um, in between those two movies, you know, <laughs> a lot there's, of- there was a lot of missteps to, yeah. to in using that technology. There's some good, good uses, too. I don't mean to minimize that. But I think that 300 effect has some potential into the future. Mm-hmm. I think we're still in that misstep fa- fa- uh, phase right now where people have not figured out that they need to use it for an actual purpose rather than just kind of making a cool look. That's fair. So. I, think that's, I, think that's, I think that's completely fair. I remember talking to you once. Go ahead. <laughs> oh, and I was going to say, I actually, I, I'm glad you recommended The Immortals to me. Like, I didn't like the movie, mm-hmm. but I'm glad I watched it. Okay. So... Good. So I want that on the record as well. Like it's it's one I'm glad I have seen so that I can. It taught me a lot of things not to do. It's 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 a, it's kind of like a little chapter or footnote in the the history of film. You kind of go ah, here's another example of this growing trend kind of a thing. Exactly. So you and Brandy went and saw a movie one summer, and you came back and said, "You have to see this." It's like it's like a really funny, smart action film you use the word smart which floored me i'm like this is the a team i should see this what part of this movie smart Uh, uh, to to me to me it was a smart film in that the humor in it all required uh, not all i mean there was definitely some levels that didn't Mm -hmm. but it definitely required a certain amount of processing what was going on, and and there were layers to what was happening humor-wise to I, me. I I can see that. Um, the only it's, part it's about not, this movie it's not I really sp- liked was Liam Neeson, and even <laughs> when I say Liam Neeson, I really mean like the first fifteen minutes. I thought was a lot of fun. I was like, I think I'm going to like this, but to me, it quickly just devolved into a very loud very easy to predict film and when the villain is somebody i can't take seriously because the villain literally at one point goes this is just like playing call of duty when he's uh, he's controlling some kind of drone i was like it's not hard to outsmart this man (laughs) this is a man who's comparing his real life work to playing a video game in an excited way (laughs) <laughs> and if I can't take the villain seriously, it's hard to take like these four men who are having to come together to outsmart him. You're like, mm. it's like everything kind of gets downgraded when you don't have a villain that you can be really truly menaced by. I feel like he would have been menaced by, you know, shoes that don't have Velcro. <laughs> so it's like of course B.A. and Liam Neeson are going to be able to take care of this guy that being said I did think there was some good comedy I liked the guy from District 9 I thought he was funny um, I thought Liam Neeson was pretty great especially in that opening sequence but there, it kind of felt like the, there was like this opening cool sequence that they kind of came up with and then like oh we need to really do a lot of nods to the old show and then it just kind of became this really loud kind of dumb action film that kind of ends with this, don't worry, there's going to be an 18 2 And I was just like super not interested about an hour into the movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm sorry I steered you wrong. <laughs> Honestly, though, like any movie that has a tank that 
that is falling out of an airplane that they readjust in space by no, firing the that cannon. That was the worst. That was the worst. <laughs> See, to me, that was like the epitome of why this movie was fit. It it went from a level. It went of, from interesting to cartoon so quickly. That's a cartoon sequence. That is yes. Like, that's what I loved about it. Is it went. It took like this concept and went like all the way with it, rather than rather than keeping it in a believable territory. I liked the cartoon element of it, and, maybe, and honestly, maybe it was my expectations that tainted it. Because um, I don't know when you when someone says it's a smart action film, the movies that I go to smart action films are things like the Bourne movies. Um, even Taken and maybe the first Die Hard, where I think they're very well plotted, very well thought out action films. And so someone was like, dude, this is a live action cartoon that is so awesome. They have a tank that is able to fly by <laughs> shooting shells in various directions. You know, I, I would be like, oh, that sounds ridiculous. Uh, yeah. I enjoy this. See, I would say smart in the way that like a Looney Tunes cartoon was smart, <laughs> not smart in the way. <laughs> A Bourne movie, or you know, or even something like a uh, Arrested Development, or something <laughs> like not those directions. More like more like Looney Tunes, where like Acme products go wrong and explode in funny ways, right? And you know why and why that shouldn't work, and you, that's part of the comedy. And right, okay. that's fair. It just was not what I was expecting, and so because of that, I've just always every time I see it at, at a store, I just kind of glare at it. I'm like, <laughs> you're not a smart film. Well, smart. <laughs> <laughs> smart smart may have been the wrong word to use. I, I do apologize for steering you wrong. <laughs> no worries. I clearly have steered you wrong from time to time as well. <laughs> and we won't even bring up Robin Hood. Um, <laughs> oh, dare you, sir. Libertarian <laughs> uh, is a flaw. Especially... <laughs> All right, moving on. Not politics. We're not talking politics. <laughs> All right, so about in the heat of the night, however, which right, is very yeah. a political film. It is. <laughs> it is very political. Yeah. Um, um, Nineteen sixty-seven, directed by Norman Jewison, who, in my mind, is kind of one of those unsung yeah. directors. Um, he directed a, a lot of movies you would have heard of. You know, Fiddler on the Roof, the original Thomas Crown Affair, Strike Superstar. I mean, there's a lot of stuff. Yeah. Um, and uh, just a, as a side note, I think it's really interesting. You know, uh, he kind of came up during that time as we were getting into kind of having you know this new wave of of directors um you know you had your you know francis ford coppola's and stuff coming out and kind of being the the masters of their work and everything and you know uh i think norman jewison did it all kind of he made a lot of really good movies kind of during that same time period during or using the studio system whereas a lot of people were kind of fighting that system um i don't know that's kind of my take on it i I think you're right because i I think he is somebody that should be more noted because like when you see his name, you kind of go, "Oh, I know that name. I know that guy." And I was looking over his IMDb page earlier this morning, and I was like, "I have seen most of this guy's films, and it's not." But he doesn't stand out like you said, like a Coppola, like a you know mm-hmm. whoever else. Because I, yeah, he was working within the system, and mm-hmm. not that he yeah. was like a studio director, but he kind of was, and so yeah, kind of kind of like uh, Pakula, as we were talking about a couple of weeks ago with all the president. You know, lots of movies everybody has seen, yeah, but you don't really think about him as anyhow. Just a side note. Yeah. Um, so, in the heat of the night is about, um, according to IMDb, it's like it's an African American detective is asked to investigate a murder in a racist Southern town, um, and that's that's it in a very very broad nutshell. Um, it's to me a lot more interesting and nuanced than that, though, because at the beginning of the film, you basically you have the discovery of a dead body in this kind of sleepy little town. Um, I believe it's in Mississippi is where they're where they kind of are supposed to set it. Um, it was shot in Illinois. I know that, but that's neither here nor there. Um, they, they, a body is discovered uh, one night, and immediately they start, you know, trying to find the the killer of this man because the body's still fresh. The man must still be around. Police officer finds a very well dressed uh, black man sitting at the train station, and they arrest him uh, very uh, roughly and just, you know. Without asking any questions, they just immediately assume that this man is clearly the killer. He's a black man out at night. He kills lots somebody. of money and stuff. So, exactly, you know. and so they take him into the station, which is one of my favorite scenes, where they start emptying his pockets and asking him questions. 
And at first, they're not really. Uh, they don't really take him seriously. They're just they they're treating him like he's a murderer. And then they discover he's a police officer from Philadelphia. And it changes the whole course of the film, and it changes their relationship with him. And they just they don't know what to do with him at first. And um, but then he ends up becoming involved in this investigation of trying to figure out why this man was killed, and uh, kind of becomes a murder mystery. Um, but the murder mystery really is just the the story structure on which a conversation about uh, racism and prejudice is kind of uh, interwoven and kind of hung on this kind of uh, this frame, which I found very very fascinating. Um, we were talking before the podcast began that I, I this is my favorite scene that what I just mentioned where he's when they first discovers a police officer because it was the scene where I was really let on where we, the audience discovers that there's going to be a lot of nuance to this conversation because already you kind of go, oh, this is going to be a movie about racism. Um, but as soon as they discover he's from Philadelphia, he's from this big city in Pennsylvania, the racism is almost replaced by just like this big city prejudice that, oh, he is from the big city. He's educated, you know, and he's going to look down on us small town folk. And so they start treating him that way. The racism doesn't go away, but this this new found prejudice compounds the racism and then it kind of goes throughout the rest of the film and you see over and over again as they meet new people as they question people as new people are brought into this investigation it's this very complicated relationship that this this small town very white community has where they are coming face to face with this new realization that they don't get to treat people the way they used to um they're living in a new world where uh, where, the, where black men are going to not only be more educated than them, but they're going to be making more money than them. And they they can't talk to them like, they, like the previous generation did. They can't treat them the way they did. I mean, great scene where they go, um, part of the investigation takes them to this greenhouse. And uh, this, uh, the white, this white man who runs the place slaps Tibbs, who's played by Sidney uh, Potier, and Tibbs just slaps him right back. And he was like, if, you know, what was he like 10 years ago? Like I, you know, I'd be in every right just to shoot you, you know, mm-hmm. but he's powerless. And Tibbs walks out and the man just kind of turns around and kind of breaks down and starts crying because he was humiliated and nobody did anything to protect him. And he felt like he was in his right, but he actually knows I don't have that right anymore. I, mm-hmm. you know, I am this, I am the previous generation. I'm this Luddite who has to kind of accept the new change in this new world I live in. And it's kind of a scary place for him. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't actually know what else really I would want to say. I mean, you just summed up so much of my feelings about this movie. Um, no, it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's very powerful. Uh, you know, Sidney Poitier does an amazing performance in this. Uh, everybody is really good in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it's, it's definitely a movie that I feel is very much a time capsule of a specific time in America. I, you have on the, you had written down that this came out the year before Martin Luther King was killed. Yeah. So, because this movie won five Academy Awards. And I believe I read that, like, the, the actual award ceremony was postponed a couple of days due to the death of Martin Luther King. Like it happened. I mean, this was right in that frame of this volatile civil rights movement and the feelings that America was having and dealing with these issues. Yeah. And it's, um, you know, so it's, uh, this is kind of one of those movies that I think came out at a time that it really could be, you know, an anthem for a generation in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. You know, I think people could see this and, and really, um, you know, there there was a story I was reading about how um, how Sidney Poitier would go to a theater and watch the reactions, and there would be an integrated crowd. And you know, at the slapping scene, mm-hmm. he'd hear you know the black people cheering, mm-hmm. and like the white people would go, "Oh my!" Kind of, you know, <laughs> there was like that a, a disconnect in in everything. But at the same time, it was very you know, I think empowering. It was a movie that was very empowering for the African-American movement at that time and, and what they were, you know, fighting for. And, and I, I think it was very formative for a lot of, uh, you know, white audiences as well, watching this, um, you know, maybe seeing different values coming out that they could apply, um, yeah. you know, during, during some of the civil rights 
Oh, uh, absolutely. There's a scene kind of late in the film where it, it might be viewed as kind of heavy-handed, but it worked very. I felt like it was very effective. After several conversations, um, the the sheriff of the town, I think his last name is Gillespie. Is that his name? The, oh, something like that. Uh, yeah, the, the the head sheriff, who's who was so so close-minded and racist at the beginning of the film. Mm-hmm. He they have this conversation, and you know Tibbs has been. He just kind of he vents, and he goes, huh. You really are just like us, aren't you? You know, it's like, it's like it's this recognition of that we are all humans. We all have this, and you can see how his his worldview and his life has changed due to these twenty four hours he has spent with this man who he never would have considered. So yeah, I think there is we use they treat the subject very well, so that I felt insulted. Like if I went into a town and was treated this way, I would be incredibly offended. And you can see. And you can see that, and you feel that. It's, so it, it's handled very nicely. Yeah. Um, you know, it's also kind of one of those things, the uh, the suspects kind of, the for the murder, kind of shift a couple of times during the movie, um, kind of who who is expected to be the bad guy. And there's interesting moments where, like, people end up fighting for people they never would have stuck up for before. Right. Um, and that's kind of a really interesting thing as well, is kind of this concept of, you know, even people who have maybe had differences in the past or, or who, you know, have not <laughs> seen eye to eye on equality or racism or anything, still kind of have this professional duty to each other or this, mm-hmm. you know, the, the truth or, or the concept of what is right can still win out even for people like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's just a, there's really big themes at play in this movie, all kind of grounded in a interesting yet, you know, fairly standard murder mystery. Yeah. Concept. Very believable. And even some of the other subjects that get approached in this are, are handled very interestingly. Um, when you kind of find out what's at the root of this murder, you can kind of understand why people are behaving that way. Everything feels <clears throat> very real, very believable. Mm-hmm. They have very real world setting. It's not like this big, you know, corporate story that you can't quite relate to, but you you feel like you know something that it doesn't feel like a soap opera. When you find out what's mm-hmm. really going on, you go, "Yeah, people would be upset about that." <laughs> you know, people would kill over that. That's yeah. very it's, it's very interesting. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think that's kind of one of the big things about this movie is it is it really tackles these big issues in a believable, relatable character-driven and story-driven sort of way, mm-hmm. where everything just kind of works, and, and the performances are allowed to carry the story. Yeah. Um, kind of unlike some stuff that we've talked about earlier. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't know that I have much more to say about it. I mean, that really, I mean there's other little bits of trivia about it, just, but I mean, it's just, it's a solid film. It's, it's something that, it is a bit of a time capsule, but it completely holds up. I mean, it's a yeah. movie... That could be made today, but it really needs to be set in the sixties. If they made it today, it's like everything about this movie is kind of perfect for when it came out, what it handles, what it does, how it handles the mystery, how it handles the investigation, the character work. There's nothing that needs to be changed or approved upon. Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. I, I, I mean, that's kind of my verdict. Is I would yeah. say, you know, go in looking at it as a time capsule. <clears throat> at the same time, the themes in it are still incredibly applicable to today you know um you know stuff you know racism has has shifted a little bit in this country you know i don't think it's it's entirely as blatant in some ways as it is in this movies and in other other ways it is entirely as blatant uh, it, you know it's it shifted the way it works a little bit so mm-hmm. it may not be a one-to-one correlation to the way things are today in this country yeah. but that said the themes and the the larger conversation is exactly the right conversation to be having. Mm-hmm. And to, the questions it raises are still the things that we need to be asking ourselves today. And, um, yeah, uh, it's it's a great movie. And I would say well, well-deserved to be on this list. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, okay, maybe people have already seen this, Lauren, or they are looking for other movies in this vein. Um, because, honestly, when it comes to other suggestions... I kind of feel like, no, just just go watch this. This is a great movie. This is a great example of everything, of every kind of genre that this could fit mm-hmm. into. This is a great example. But what are other movies that are like this or that are worth checking out on this sure. conversation? Yeah, um, there was actually a couple of sequels made to this movie. Um, but the, the next one in the series is called They Call Me Mr. Tibbs. 
And uh, yeah, does this does it star the same actors? Yeah, it still still has Sidney Poitier in it. Um, I think it still has the same detective. I could be wrong. I, it's been ages since I've seen it. And I honestly didn't look I it up before writing this list. Um, you know, but it's it's kind of a, a follow up to this same same character. So if you liked the characters in this movie, more more of the same. Yeah. Um, uh, Sidney Poitier was also in another movie similar time period. You know, kind of. In the '60s, there. Uh, Guess who's coming to dinner? Which uh, also had um, Spencer Tracy in it, and uh, it's basically um, kind of breaking some other racial barriers. It's it's a story of um, this girl who brings her boyfriend home to meet her parents, and uh, turns out it's Sidney Poitier, and they are you know her family is a white family, and this whole concept of bringing and integrating you know, through marriage and through, you know, dating and stuff is, is a very, um, again, breaking a lot of the social taboos of the time and, um, you know, staring down some of the, the, the racial issues of that. Um, do the right thing. I know we've seen it already, but it's, it's another movie about racism and about, um, you know, anger the sweltering and, heat. and the sweltering heat. Oh, that's, yeah, that's something that we didn't really touch on. Um, before was was that this is the third movie on our list that uses heat as kind of a metaphor as an antagonizer mm-hmm. for for the characters mm-hmm. um and you know do the right thing and uh 12 angry men both kind of use that mm-hmm. and both kind of again fit into the same absolutely genre so both of those um fiddler on the roof is a norman jewison movie yeah. if you want to go see something else that he's done also kind of deals with some of the same things because you have kind of this jewish versus the, the jewish people versus the russian government mm-hmm. so there's still some of these same overtones in it while at the same time being a completely different big movie. musical which is yeah. one of my favorites yeah um let's see a couple other things if if you like the uh the white and black buddy cop kind of genre, <laughs> um, which this is sort of a precursor to. Go on. Um, Lethal Weapon is maybe a, a, a decent step to something. That might be my favorite so far. <laughs> um, it's maybe a little bit of a stretch. It's not really at all the same thing, but even so, there is still some of these same themes throughout the series and stuff that, that get played into. Mm-hmm. And then um, a much more recent movie, um, Crash, yeah, um, which also won some Academy Awards and stuff. But I mean, it, it entirely deals with racism and anger. But it, it kind of extends beyond black and white and goes kind of through all all peoples and all you know. Crash all races is. A, and, I, I love Crash personally, um, but it's, it's a strangely divisive film. That some people, sure some people really don't like it, which I find fascinating um, because I kind of find that it is really in a lot of ways very similar to In the Heat of the Night, where it's an important movie that is entertaining but at the same time it's kind of the more modern take on like we need to just we still need to talk about racism we still yep. need to talk about this bigotry and prejudice that we have and how we treat people um it, it might be a little broad in the way it approaches certain characters and certain topics but i i really kind of love that movie yeah um so that's what i've got on my list scott what do, what do you want to add to i that? want to add everything you just said again <laughs> um because i you i think you really nailed it with your suggestions there's, a, there's three other ones that i would recommend and they're all kind of more into the uh murder mystery kind of a concept of a film uh chinatown which mm, i yeah. love with jack nicholson uh, mystic river uh which is that recent clint eastwood film which if you haven't seen it's really worth uh revisiting or visiting and then gone baby gone which was ben affleck's uh big directorial kind of debut and it's a really interesting um it's not a murder mystery per se, but it's, it is a cop film and it deals with a lot of interesting social things in Boston. Um, and while being a really good film that stars Casey Affleck, his younger brother. And it's, you know, if you haven't seen that or the town, I would really recommend both, but I would start with gone baby gone because it, you will be kind of blown away by Ben Affleck and his directorial uh, capabilities. It's a really solid film. So yeah, yeah, I would agree. Yeah. I love them all. Very cool. Um, I think so, yeah, we have we have gone far afield today, but that is uh, kind of our thoughts on this. Yeah, um, and so, so come back next week. We'll be on uh, number seventy four of AFI's top one hundred, The Silence of the Lambs. Indeed, nice little creepy yeah. serial killer movie for you there. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, join us next time. We'll be talking about that. And uh, until then, again, you can talk about talk with us about any of the stuff we've talked about today. There's been a lot of it. Um, 
But you yeah. can you can talk to us on Twitter at movies you should. Uh, um, yeah, <laughs> let us know when uh, when your friends have steered you awry with your with films or you know weigh in on some of these topics or these movies. You know, are we are we wrong on our you know or my hate of Red Tails? Was it a good movie? <laughs> or, or yeah, or, or whatever. You know, weigh in on any of this stuff, and we're we're interested in talking films, any kind of movies. Um, we're we've been getting a lot of uh, followers there on Twitter who have started chiming in, and. Uh, it's it's fun to see and we we love it and there was a a particular tweet the other night that really kind of made my night so thank you everybody i think yeah so yeah twitter movies you should um facebook facebook.com slash movies you should and of course our website movies you should love.com any of those places great places to to join in the conversation with find us weigh in shout at us whatever yep (laughs) so uh all right so until next time we will say goodbye and keep enjoying uh, watching movies yeah you've been listening to the movies you should love podcast join in the conversation at moviesyoushouldlove.com you should love.com